Chapter Seven of Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study by Charles Edward Jefferson. Chapter Seven, Cowardice. If a minister is willing to live laborious days, he is in the way of being saved. But his salvation is not assured. He may be stricken down in the midst of arduous labor by cowardice. It is easy to call preachers cowards. Cowardice is the sin of which they have been accused from the beginning. It is an ugly, insulting word, and to hurl it has been the pastime of all enemies of the church. But it is easier to call a man a coward than to prove him one. To some men, a man is always a dastard who refuses to do what they think he ought to do. That makes swift work of a man who must be gotten rid of. If you cannot answer his argument or understand his conduct, call him a coward and leave him. Now it is impossible for a minister to do everything which every man would like to see him do, or to say everything which men who are self-constituted judges insist that he must say. He must be guided by the Holy Spirit so far as he can ascertain what this guidance is, but even when following the manifest leading of the Spirit, he is sure to disappoint and nettle persons who follow nothing but their passions, prejudices, and whims. To many men in Palestine, Jesus was the greatest coward in Hebrew history. And really they could make out a strong case against him. He declined to answer plain questions which the crowd put to him. He avoided taking sides in contentions of national importance. He refused to strike a blow at the Roman Empire the embodiment of all villainy and the oppressor of God's people. Repeatedly he dodged his enemies in order to save his life, and he maintained a silence oftentimes which it is impossible to justify or explain. So it seemed to men who stood close to him and studied his career. But now that we behold his life in its true perspective, we see how egregiously mistaken his maligners were. For in him we behold courage at its climax, the very incarnation of moral heroism. No true man can live a faithful life without appearing to men of less insight and wisdom, a recreant and a coward. But nevertheless, the temptation to ministerial cowardice is genuine and constant. A man may be a coward without knowing it. The greatest cowards are often the most confident of their heroism. It is true, as Thomas Fuller used to say, that there is much terra incognita in a man's own heart. This is true even of men given to introspection and patient self-examination. Satan gives one convincing reason why his chosen course is best, and takes him along the downward course so gradually that he is not conscious of the descent. Surely no minister can be other than a coward unless strength be given him from above. All things conspire to make him calculating and faint-hearted. Civilization is built on the principle that the chief end of man is to please. All society recognizes this. Well-bred people are trained not to say anything in the parlor that contradicts or hurts. The commercial world is built on the same foundation. The merchant lives to please his customers. He caters to their wishes. He anticipates their wants. He bends to every whim and mood, puts up with their criticisms and unreasonableness, makes himself a swift-footed servant, and counts himself successful if, at any sacrifice of personal wish or comfort, he can sell his goods. Hotel managers live to please their guests. What any guest desires, that is the thing which he shall have, 
for hotel guests must be humored. After people have been petted, indulged, and flattered by those who serve them through the week, they are in no mood to be crossed or rebuked by a man in the pulpit on Sunday. They do not want to be reminded of their sins, nor do they relish the personal, passionate appeal for self-crucifixion, and the preacher, knowing this, is in constant peril of tempering his message to their wishes. If the failure to speak with sufficient plainness of sin, a failure widespread and notorious, is not due to cowardice, how shall we explain it? A preacher is a leader of thought. More light is continually breaking out of the Bible. The facts of our religion never change, but the interpretation of these facts widens with the process of the sons. Sacred phraseology grows antiquated and must be discarded. Ancient conceptions must be left behind. But many Christians do not read, still fewer of them think. In every congregation there are good men and women who cling to the old phrases and the old interpretations, long after they have become obsolete to the world of thinking men. They are suspicious of new terms and alarmed by new expositions, and fear exceedingly lest the ark of the Lord be upset. What is the preacher to do? To hurt an ignorant saint is not pleasant, and to mar the peace of a congregation is distressing. And yet the minister, as leader of God's people, must often do what the man of Galilee did, shock the sensibilities of the pious by tearing old traditions to tatters. A leader of thought must follow the unmistakable guidance of the Spirit, no matter what commotion may be stirred up in his parochial teapot. It is hazardous to lay one's finger on any man and say, Thou art a coward. But when one sees how many giant evils are entrenched in our Christian civilization, and how many injustices on every side go unrebuked and unredressed, he cannot suppress misgivings which keep rising in his heart that the clergy as a whole have failed to exhibit the dauntless daring of the man who once drove a pack of mercenary peddlers from the court of the Jerusalem temple. No more magnificent company of heroes have added luster to the ages than the intrepid warriors who have led the world from Christian pulpits. But when we read the history of the last nineteen hundred years, and see how closely we have reproduced the bloody record of the Hebrew people, the sons in each generation building the sepulchres of the prophets whom the fathers killed, the conviction is borne in upon us that fewer of these tragedies would have come to pass, if more religious leaders had bravely followed in their day and generation the light which the Holy Spirit was willing to bestow. One likes to believe that if every minister of the gospel would speak out clearly the word of the Lord as it is made known to him, the church would have a continuous and joyous progress into Christian truth, and Christian history would not be what it has thus far been, a series of vast upheavals and reigns of terror, every dawn being wild with thunder peals, and every forward step marked by a new Golgotha. Brethren, have you been silent concerning the colossal evils, the burning questions of our day? Silence is often the coward's cave. Have you struck evil with all your might, not the evil of patriarchal times, but the evil which has lifted itself in your own parish? Have you gone on boldly in front of your people, imposing broad views on narrow hearts, endeavoring to lead both young and old into the new conceptions and interpretations which modern scholarship has forced upon the world? If you have not done these things, it might be well to ask yourself the reason why. End of chapter 7